0: I am Vengeance. I am the Knight. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast.
1: Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.
0: Podcast. Podcast. Whoa! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that penny bed
2: and What did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah!
0: (laughs) I am a podcast.
2: Whoa Whoa. Hey! (laughs) Interviews (laughs) with friends (laughs) and people.
0: people Show. Podcast. Podcast.
1: Welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host Justin Michael and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, The Opera, the only place to take your child that's both impossible to understand and absolutely no fun. Guys, we're kicking off 2017 with a fan-favorite episode with some absolutely killer guests. You'll be hearing from Tom Ruger, who not only wrote Beware the Grey Ghost, but also co-created the series along with Animaniacs, Freakazoid, Pinky in the Brain, and many more. You'll also be hearing from Robert Ben-Gurant, Grant, is a legendary sketch comedian from The State, and Reno 911, who also happens to love Batman the Animated Series. He's going to say stuff like this.
2: Like, the reason he loves the Gray ghost, he says, I used to watch this with my father. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's Batman. Like, that, that is why he is Batman, is because he loved his parents. And yeah. not because he has a ton of money, uh, but because he loves his parents. And, and in that, that sort of detail is in these animated shows that I think is truer to Batman than any other incarnation.
1: And if that's not enough, Batman casting and voice director Andrea Romano also pops by to chat about casting Adam West as the Gray ghost she'll say stuff like this.
0: For me, it was joyous. He's not only going to figure out a way to solve this crime, but he has given life back to this actor who was dying.
1: But first, a quick plug. I've got a new animated short of my own, and I would love for you guys to watch it and share it around. It's a kid-friendly musical sci-fi short called Gleep Glorp and Laser Tag, a very normal name, and features animation and character designs by Tom Smith, the guy behind this podcast's logo, as well as music by Casey Trela, who did this podcast's theme song. I dare you to listen to this snippet of that theme song and not watch the video.
0: Gleep glorp, and Laser Tag, friends forever.
1: Actually, you know what? I don't dare you, just go check it out. It's at Vimeo.com slash JustinMichael. I'd love to hear what you think. Alright, plug over. It's time for today's episode. Beware the Grey Ghost. Batman realizes a pattern of recent bombings in Gotham is based on an episode of an old TV series featuring his favorite childhood hero, the Grey Ghost. Batman visits the actor who played the TV hero, who quickly becomes a suspect. Say it ain't so, ghosty. Original air date, November 4th, 1992. Story by Dio Flaherty and Tom Ruger. Teleplay by G. Wolf. And Tom Ruger, directed by Boyd Kirkland, supervising composer Shirley Walker with music composed by Carl Johnson. Animation by Spectrum Animation Services, featuring Kevin Conroy as Batman, Joe Leahy as the narrator, series co-creator of Batman, Bruce Timm as the Mad Bomber, and the original Batman himself, or at least original to a lot of people, Adam West as Simon Trent, a.k.a. the Grey Ghost. Whoo it's a goodie today's guest tom ruger tom is a veteran animation creator producer and writer he co-created batman the animated series and worked on the entire wb slate of cartoons in the 1990s with steven spielberg ranging from tiny tunes and animaniacs to freakazoid and hysteria and road rovers he was a hell of a nice guy to chat with and we didn't even get to animaniacs this time so guys please enjoy tom ruger Tom Ruger. Uh, we're here to talk about Beware the Great Ghost as well as everything else. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, you, it looks like you brought stuff with you. Uh, you brought the Batman animated book and the
3: DVDs. Well, I, I watched a few of the DVDs this morning just to kind of refresh my memory. It has been a few years. You have many titles on this show, you're a co
1: creator. <laughs> Executive producer, writer—you
3: know Bruce and and uh, Eric and Alan and Paul. Of course, uh, they sweated and lived with it every day. I I, uh, I was involved uh, pretty much, you know, first half of the first season pretty heavily, and beyond that, I was just uh, cheering for everyone. Grey Ghost, I, I do have feel some authorship and and uh, certainly uh, some uh, creative input on on that particular episode. Yeah, that was my baby. Uh, prior to that one, of course, I had worked on uh, Pretty Poison and a, a couple of the other ones.
1: Well, before we even dive into the Batman stuff, I kind of want to get a background of where you came from. How did you get involved in animation? What drew you to animation in the first place?
3: Well, I uh, grew up in New Jersey, and uh, I I was drawing uh, as soon as I could hold a crayon. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, drawing. I'd sit in front of the TV with a pad of paper in front of me, and Just, uh, you know, draw Fred Flintstone or Yogi Bear or whoever I was seeing on the screen. Uh, My Aunt Catherine McLaughlin uh, taught me how to color in between the lines in coloring books. And she also showed me how to... uh, Because kids tend to really dig in on their coloring. But she told me how how you could use the the side of the crayon and do kind of a light pastel quality. So uh, I learned a little color art back then from her. But I, I loved drawing, and you know I wanted to make animated cartoons. Uh, it was pure magic to me. And then I learned, oh, wow, it's really on cells and on backgrounds. And so when I learned about it, I really wanted to do it. And in college, when I went to Dartmouth, I applied for a film grant. And that's what really got me uh, caught up in animation. I, uh, I proposed a, a film called The Premiere of Platypus Duck, and uh, the Arthur and Lily Mayer Foundation, which uh, gave grants to students at Dartmouth and at USC, uh, granted me uh, some money to, uh, you know, devote to this production, which took me about three years and kind of ruined my life because drawing animation, uh, you know, cell animation. Yeah, it takes a while. <laughs> oh, it was it was a long process. But that's what got me really hooked. And then uh, once I graduated, uh, I I drove out to Los Angeles, uh, brought my 16-millimeter film to Hanna-Barbera, where I met Bill Hanna. And he said, "Uh, how how am I going to run this? We don't have 16-millimeter projectors around here. So uh, anyway, he gave me a job on the spot. They were very busy at the time. And he said, you have a month to prove yourself. And so I started as an animator. Uh, as an assistant animator, and then progressed into animation and ultimately uh, segued into writing some scripts, which uh, ultimately landed me a job at Filmation and then uh, back at Hanna-Barbera, where I did Scooby-Doo for a number of years. uh, That's where I met Jean McCurdy, Mm -hmm. who was put in charge of Warner Brothers Animation, and in 89, she invited me to join her and uh, work on the Steven Spielberg project, uh, which became Tiny Toons. And that, uh, fortunately, uh, a lot of the people, like, I mean, Paul Dini, who's a big Batman guy, uh, he worked with that, uh, on that with me. And, well, we had a number of great artists, uh, Bruce Tim, uh Eric Godomsky, were doing uh, storyboards and backgrounds on Tiny Toons when uh, the Tim Burton movie uh, hit really big. And, They thought, uh, when Gene McCurdy said, hey, I think they want a Batman animated series, they thought they had a pretty good plan. And uh, so we all know what happened with that.
1: Yeah, I kind of want to dig in a little bit before moving on. Uh, Can you tell me what the premiere of Platypus Duck was about?
3: Yes, I will. It was about a a duck-billed platypus family uh, that is, uh, the, the mother is washed away in a flood, and the, the father and the uh, two kids have to uh, make their way to Sydney, Australia and track her down where she's been uh, turned into sort of a sideshow at the Sydney Opera House where mm. she's on stage. Uh, other than that, uh, just to be as ambitious as possible, it tells the, uh, the history of evolution from like <laughs> billions of years ago. <laughs> And, and then into the future, uh, and in the future at the very end of the cartoon, uh, an atomic bomb uh, goes off and everything gets blown to bits. Is there anywhere anybody can watch this? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Uh, a really bad copy of it, uh, and it really is, it's almost impossible to watch. It's, because the, I have a perfectly good version of it at home, but there's a really bad version of it um, online. You got to upload your version online. Find a way to transfer it. I, I can. I can do that. <laughs> I have to do that. Uh,
1: and and th- I guess tell me about how you got involved with you know Gene McCurdy and like working
3: on developing shows like Tiny Toons and, and what went into that. Sure. Uh, Gene McCurdy and I met at Hanna Barbera. She was in charge of. Uh, you know, uh, Margaret Lesh was uh, the the main executive directly under. Uh, Joe Barbera, as far as the creative stuff goes, and Gene McCurdy worked directly with Margaret. She she sort of corralled all the writers. And uh, so Gene and I were fast friends. We really got along well. And when uh, she went back over, she had worked at Warner's years before, and when she went back over there, uh, one of the first things that uh, came to her was uh, Terry Semmel and Steven Spielberg had had uh, gotten together and decided they want to make an animated uh, TV series. And Semmel's plan, Terry Semmel, who was one of the leaders of, with Bob Daly of, of Warner Brothers, he wanted to get Steven Spielberg to make movies at Warner Brothers. Now, Steven had other deals elsewhere in town. And he, he really didn't want to. But he wanted to please Terry on some level. So uh, they decided, oh, we'll make a TV series, an animated TV series, because Steven was interested in animation at the time. And uh, that will be a way for Stephen. We can get Stephen really ensconced at Warner's, and huh. we can get him to make some movies for us. But our job, Gene McCurdy's job and my job, was to not to make a great animated TV show. Uh, according to Bob and Terry, it was to keep Steven Spielberg happy. <laughs> that was literally what we were told. What did that entail? <laughs> well, it, it, ultimately, uh, it, he was pretty... Uh, He was great, and he he wasn't, like, difficult to keep happy as long as we're making really good cartoons and the quality stays up. Uh, It turned out that what it meant was that Warner Brothers had to pay a lot of money to uh, afford the the scoring for all the shows, and we had to pay top dollar for the overseas productions. So, but that was uh, when when Gene and I first met with Stephen. The show really, you know... It had a name. That was it. Uh-huh. It was called Tiny Toons. So we then started uh, pulling some art together and coming up with some storylines, some new characters like Bad's Bunny, and we we did these junior versions of uh, the Looney Tunes. And
1: uh, yeah, but it found its own voice too. It's it's you know it's like Looney Tunes but unlike Looney Tunes. And I, and I feel like it formed I don't know, a lot of. Uh, There's like a certain generation that I think is like attached to that over the original Looney Tunes.
3: Well, sure, because in the in the early 90s, that was uh, the incarnation of Looney Tunes that the the kids were getting. And uh, we were in for for the kids space. We were in primetime. We were on Fox uh, all around the country. We were on in the afternoon right after school. Uh, they showed some in prime time. It really got a lot of uh, good hits on the weekends. That we had huge numbers. So, uh, and also back then, if you'll recall, it was, there weren't all these specialized. Channels geared specifically for kids' cartoons. Right. This was sort of a general audience cartoon, so we were not only getting the kids, but we were getting parents and teenagers. So our our audience was broad, and so that's why we had so much fun uh, doing not just kids' stuff, but, you know, some of the older stuff.
1: Did you set any rules, or, or, like, I guess when developing the show, was there any point where you were like, okay, you know, what, what were the rules of the comedy, or, or did you kind of go in willy-nilly?
3: Well, uh, we... You have to make it for yourself, yeah. you know what I mean you have to you have to please uh the room first you have to make everyone laugh uh, that you're working with uh the actors would bring a lot of fun to it um uh we we didn't want to make it terribly complicated uh so you know we didn't want to just have brand new characters in every cartoon, so we tended to reuse uh, plucky and and hampton and and Babs and buster uh. The rules at one point, there was a rule that we weren't going to do any more fat jokes, mm-hmm. which was a good rule, because that's such a cheap kind of cop-out joke. Um, and uh, I, th- I think we, we just wanted to make really top-quality stuff. Uh, Steven had a real uh, uh, concern about line quality. That was a rule. It uh, couldn't get too thick. He, he liked the, the sort of the coarse shadows we gave to characters in a lot of episodes.
1: Um, yeah they said he was he was an animation fan or at least he cared about it did, did you feel like that came through or oh
3: definitely I mean he uh, on Tiny Toons we had many many story meetings with him and I'd be sitting next to him and, and there'd be other people at the table but I felt responsible I wanted to get all the notes I don't know why I didn't tape record the stuff but uh, I would have these notes where that I've written on paper but I'm looking at them trying to keep the eye contact and the, the make him understand that i'm listening and i'm meanwhile i'm writing without looking where i'm writing so i'd have these pieces of paper that have like writing over writing over writing and then in one of them uh the only thing i could read out of uh, like a two-hour meeting uh were the words cheese and stuff (laughs) so it was really incredibly unhelpful uh tape recording became the thing to do yeah
1: and that's where the show Cheese and Stuff came from. Oh, yes. You know, your most popular
3: yes, show. Yes, I know. That was a big hit, but, you know... It, 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 did wonders it, for cheese. <laughs> yeah, but Kraft was against it, so it went out. Oh, the man. It's always about the company. Yeah, out. I know. <laughs>
1: um, well, cool. Moving on from there. what well, After Tiny Toons, did you go straight into Batman, or what was the timeline?
3: Well, Batman was uh, taking place uh, concurrent with, uh, like, the second season uh, of Tiny Toons. I mean, Tiny Toons was still in production, seriously in production, Uh, while Batman uh, was just getting underway. So uh, my involvement um, on Tiny Toons was like daily and heavy. And as Tiny Toons uh, proved successful, we started segueing into developing uh, the next show, which became Animaniacs. In between there, of course, Batman was, uh, and and there was Tasmania. It was all happening at the same time. It was all happening at the same That's
1: time. That's insane because also you like maintained a quality too. Like Animaniacs is great.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, Animaniacs it's definitely. Incredible. Yeah, we we had uh, of course Tiny Tunes was sort of our proof of concept. We uh, we proved we could make funny cartoons shorts in uh, the modern era, similar to our, uh the classic Looney Tunes. So then. Uh, and Animaniacs, we were given much more freedom. We didn't have to like emulate these characters. We could come up with brand new characters.
1: Yeah, it felt like, uh, I mean, edgy is kind of an annoying word, but it felt like it was pushing boundaries a- a- in a way. And you got to have more fun because it was an anthology show.
3: Right, and it had that sassiness of, you yeah. know, the Marx Brothers kind of sassiness. So, yeah. But anyway, right in between there, this pocket of uh of intensity devoted to uh the batman uh series which again you know bruce and eric and alan and and paul and you know all the directors and the writers and artists were just you know totally uh living breathing uh gotham and uh i got to you know throw in my two cents now and then and uh but I I found myself uh, in the the comedy side uh, more often.
1: What was it like balancing the comedy and the drama? Uh,
3: Well, normally, uh, you know, we were, Gene McCurdy and I were thrilled that Eric and and Bruce had had run with this, and they made this beautiful uh, uh, animatic, which was how the series was sold.
1: Was that funded, or was that just them on their own, kind of working? It
3: was endorsed. In other words, yes, make it. Yeah, so in other words, on their, it wasn't like they just were uh, doing it at home. But
1: did they get like time allowed to make it, or were they doing it in between other things? They were
3: encouraged to make it. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, Jean McCurdy wanted this show. She thought this was, uh, after Tiny Toons, the next logical step in owning animation for Warner Brothers. I mean, here's this huge character. Let's... Uh, Take advantage of this moment of its, its success and and segue into this animated series, but uh, Eric a- and and Bruce clearly you know had a had a vision for this thing, uh, Eric's brilliant uh, uh, BG paintings with the starting with the the black paper and building light out of the black. Yeah, uh, like to
1: define the show's look
3: completely, and then you get uh, Bruce Tim's uh, character designs, which are you know everyone agrees they're among the best in the world of uh any kind of uh DC genre or you know superhero uh, definitive drawings of these characters simple yet elegant beautiful um so what a great combo to start with and then now we're making it for fox and so they had fox being you know They're a TV network. They have executives. They didn't immediately uh, have complete faith in Bruce and Eric in in the realm of story. Ultimately, they would uh, prove that they're great at story. But at the beginning, they were like, well, you know, these guys haven't story edited. They haven't written a lot of scripts. And so that's when they wanted to... So I I remember at some point, I had to rewrite the Bible uh, very early on. And... uh, and they got me involved in some of the stories, uh, started writing some stuff. and uh, But then we got both Paul Dini and Alan Burnett to show up, and then suddenly all the story issues that had existed dissolved and mm. everybody was happy.
1: Do you remember any of the early stories that maybe you were working on that didn't end up seeing the light of day?
3: Well, there is one story that uh, I wrote that, probably my favorite of all the scripts I've written it wasn't early it was like midway through the first season and uh it was after uh, uh the Grey Ghost and it was called The One and Only Gun Story mm-hmm. have you ever heard about this? I've
1: heard it yeah people have talked about it a little yeah. bit yeah
3: so this was my uh, original concept and uh and you know I wrote the whole thing and we were we were hopeful it would get through but the network ultimately killed it and it's uh and it it's literally it's not the point of view of a gun but you follow from fade out from fade in to fade out this gun and it starts with uh digging up of iron ore in a uh, in, in a location that turned out to be an indian burial ground so uh, this iron ore is sort of sort of Cursed, and yeah, it this gets, is bad news already. <laughs> yeah, so it, it 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 gets smelted, and and it it's used. Uh, this particular uh, metal is used to make a gun, and then Cameron stays on this gun, whether it's put in a drawer and it goes dark. In other words, we never stay off this gun for the twenty-two minutes, um, and it shows its history. And it, it turns out it's the gun that uh, kills uh, Bruce. Uh, Wayne's parents, and it's a gun that plays into different plot lines that we've seen in the series, and uh, in the end, uh, Bruce recovers it or Batman recovers it and uh, melts it down again and uses uh, the same metal to uh, uh, inscribe uh, on his parents' monument some some lettering.
1: Man, that's a great
3: story. It's it's really a, a cool script, and uh, but. Uh, the network was a little uh, uh, reluctant to do it. There's another great scene that uh, didn't make it into um, uh, another one of the scripts I wrote. Uh, I think it's... Let's see, I'm trying to think which one it is. It's uh, not... uh, It's uh, It's Never Too Late, which is a script. It's sort of like uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, if you know what I mean. It's got sort of that Cagney... Uh, Pat O'Brien scene with the priest and the, the gangster but there was a great scene that I, I my, one of my favorite scenes that didn't make it uh, where Batman has to go see the priest and he, he sees him in a confessional he goes into a confessional and they have this conversation and then then you cut to these altar boys who are lighting the candles and they see Batman leave the confessional and one of them says uh, funny I didn't know he was Catholic and uh the network hmm. the network killed it they
1: didn't want to touch religion that directly
3: yeah they they, they placed the scene in the the uh, rectory with in the office of the priest which was like Meh.
1: you're still you're there
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh still i missed the joke i oh, missed the joke
1: that's great yeah i feel like the stories at least the i mean like it's never too late gray ghost those are very human stories uh, were you drawn
3: to that more yeah i think i i, I in looking at uh Reviewing some of these this morning, I realized a lot of the the shows that uh, I was directly involved in, and in, uh, whether I made up the story or wrote it, they often have to do with uh, the past and the present. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to do with uh, what's behind the the current situation. It's sort of like uh, have to do with the history of the character and how the character became who he or she is. Which uh, even uh, Pretty Poison has a lot of backstory like five years ago this happened so uh i do like that um most of the stories i I was involved in uh, do add some depth uh to the the key characters
1: well let's dive into gray ghost uh absolutely so you were heavily involved in all of beware the gray ghost it looks like you have the most credits on that one
3: yeah no that that was my baby there uh i uh It has a lot to do with uh, many of us who are involved in, like, animation or in, uh, uh, I I mean, I'm sure you grew up, you had a few shows that meant a lot to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, um, when I was a kid, the Batman uh, live-action series, which was a comedy, was camp, but uh, it was uh, appointment viewing for me. I mean, that's a show that uh, I think was on two nights a week, it was like Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, it, it was unmissable because that you needed to be able to talk coherently on the <laughs> playground the next day about what happened. Yeah, who's yeah. egghead? Yeah, yeah <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Riddler, uh, King Tut, uh, Joker. I mean, Penguin. You needed to know what happened and uh, know how. And and honestly, uh, for a generation, uh, Adam West was Batman. He he really. Uh, whether it was the intention uh, all along by Bob Kane for it to be campy, I I don't know. But he uh, redefined Batman for a generation. Uh, Adam West did. So in trying to... uh, So relating uh, my own hero worship stuff when I was a kid uh, to the modern-day Batman uh, animated series, you know... We looked at Batman as this character. What influenced him? What made him who he is? In other words, his parents were killed, but that the, the immediate uh, reaction isn't uh, for everyone uh, to become a vigilante in a, in a cowl and a, and a cape and be flying through the night. So it made sense to me that uh, he had some influence from his childhood. And I do love the scenes in this, in this particular cartoon where... Uh, uh, Bruce's dad is reading the paper behind him. and
1: Yeah, you don't see his dad like that in a lot of other episodes or even, you know, in the Batman mythos at large. He's more of a human, less of, at- like, just a tragic shadow.
3: Right, so here's a moment where, of, of bliss, of joy, of a kid, uh, before everything in his life went sour, before anything went bad, here he is, he's at home, he's wearing his little... Uh, Grey Ghost's outfit. Mm-hmm. He's watching the Grey Ghost show. Behind him, his dad is saying, okay, after the Grey Ghost, you got to go to bed. I mean, it's just a sweet, wonderful moment, and the show is the, the Grey Ghost show is dynamic and, and well uh, well presented. And you can just see that that there's a moment from his childhood that resonates with him in the present. And, oh. it's, and it, he remembers that, uh, Batman does. And it still means a lot to him, as we see later in the episode where he's got a uh, a section of the Bat Cave has just a little uh, Gray Ghost shrine going on, so, which is
1: such a sweet thing to see. It's nice to see like the child still alive in Batman. Yep. Uh, I mean, I guess that is kind of who Batman is, though. If you look at him one way, is that he is still the child that never could let go of it.
3: Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um,
1: but he's a collector too, so it kind of like works it into. I don't know. It made sense to me, and it was it was nice to humanize him.
3: That's right. So. Uh, uh, the script came together nicely. Um, uh, as an executive producer on the show I, I I rarely would exercise my uh, my uh, stripes, but in this case i I, uh, I definitely proposed and pushed for Adam West to uh, play the gray ghost and uh, I also uh, pushed for and uh, sort of insisted that uh, Bruce Tim play the role of the toy collector. Now, Bruce is and was and always shall be a toy collector. Hmm. His office at Warner Brothers Animation is just, the shelves are jam-packed with every possible cartoon superhero toy you can imagine. So uh, this was not a stretch for me to uh, suggest Bruce play this role. And... uh, And I will say that he uh, initially completely rejected the concept. He said, absolutely not. You know, this show has got too many quality voice actors in it. I don't want to be on there and sound like just a novice uh, amateur. And I said, yeah, but, Bruce, you and I know, you know, we're both fans of Adam West. Uh, uh, You grew up loving him, and here he is. He's he's one of our heroes, and you are... uh, you are you are the mad bomber, come on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's an extra dose of uh, self-reflexivity to the episode, too. Like, having Adam and Bruce voice-acting characters that are kind of in line with who, you know, not who they are in real life, but, like, you know, fitting in the roles of, like, you know, fan and hero. And,
3: and let's face it, all of us uh, involved in this uh, little industry, we do have... Uh, Uh, experiences with uh, we go to the comic cons we meet fans we go to the the toy stores we see all the toys it all sort of uh, it really kind of fits into our world beautifully I love in that episode the the sequence of these toy cars chasing the Batmobile down the street trying to blow it up
1: tiny cars chasing a big Batmobile is such a fun
3: visual it really is it worked beautifully Um, really nice direction on that sequence
1: yeah, it really did feel like, you know, a pulpy throwback to that kind of story. Uh, like, like a Grey Ghost story felt like the origins of Batman. It felt like, you know, if you could see the... Sh- I guess you could see the shadow eventually. But, like, it felt like a shadow story or, like, a 40s kind yes, of... Yes,
3: very much shadow, uh, spirit. That's Yeah. Something. Yes, absolutely.
1: And then it was cool to see that visualized and watch Batman
3: kind of become
1: the, the fanboy. That's <laughs> like...
3: That's right. That's right. Um... And it's a sweet and redemptive story. Uh, yeah, because uh, uh, the gray ghost uh, Simon Trent is really uh, on his last legs, and uh, he can't even uh, pay his rent. He's selling his uh, his batch of uh, memorabilia to just pay the rent. It's so it's,
1: hard. That's so hard to watch every
3: time <laughs> I've seen it. It's so yeah, sad. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I there's truth to some of that too. Yes, yeah. really, it is sad. Um, And he's talking to his agent. Come on, I'm an actor. I can do anything. And I also love the uh, reference to uh, Eddie Brandt's Saturday matinee Mm -hmm. video store where the guy, Bruce and and Alfred, go to this grubby video store in the valley, which is just like Eddie Brandt. And uh, we have every video you could possibly have. (laughs) Absolutely everything. Okay, we want a Grey Ghost. That we don't have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was. it's just full, it's like rich and full of detail. I don't know, it feels like its own mini-movie.
3: Yeah, I, I, you know, the gang, the the whole crew did a beautiful job on it. Really, it really is just, it works.
1: What was it like when you met Adam West? Had you met him before, or was this the first time? I had met him before.
3: Uh, uh, I, I think I met him through, uh, my wife, um first because they were from the same hometown Walla Walla, Washington uh-huh. uh, so I had met him and, uh, and I, I brought that up when I met him again, oh yes of course he, he's such a gentleman uh, I, he claimed to remember it but uh, you know his, then he does the performs the role and the minute he opens his mouth <laughs> we're all just like melting it, <laughs> because it just, oh it is, it's our Batman hero and there he is, he's the gray ghost now and of course, I I do love that the uh, announcer, the narrator for the uh, the Grey Ghost series, made you know years before, is uh, Joe Leahy, who uh, became the the announcer for Freakazoid, which you know the same sort of very stentorian. And no, Freakazoid, you know, just a beautiful vo- voice. Um, is and that I, how you first got uh, the idea to put him on Freakazoid? I I. I remembered that voice, and I realized, "Wow, that guy could just kill on a freakerie because he has a certain satiric quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess uh, the other uh, aspect, which is maybe you know, a conversation for another time, is that uh, we see Simon Trent, the great ghost, in his uh, rundown little uh, apartment. And uh, his life is misery, and his he's been typecast as the Grey Ghost. And you see, uh, it's another sort of example of how being a superhero can ruin your life. And uh, that's really, uh, isn't that sort of the theme of almost every superhero story? It's like, here you are, you're this hero, you're someone who's working uh, to... Stop horrible villains, and yet this this superherodom has really messed you up bad.
1: Yeah, it feels like he. I mean, the fact that he's rejecting it, it you know, it's both sides of of the coin. Of like, well, you know, heroes don't exist, and it's 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 foolish to put your you know hope into such a you know a non-existent and you know imaginary kind of good. Yep. Um but this is still Batman and also there is something to be said about having that sort of hope and like inspiring people to do good even if it's not, you know,
3: possible. Well, Batman certainly does that with uh, Simon Trent. He he wakes him up, he reminds him that uh, even if he was just an actor playing the role, he had a major influence. And in this story, you know, Simon Trent delivers the uh the defeating blow uh stopping uh you know the the toy collector uh, at his home residence so yeah it, it, but it, it it's similar you know batman's struggles with his own superherodom and and the challenges and his life isn't what it would be if he uh were just a regular guy and that does seem to be the story in so many of these uh, superhero uh, genres
1: yeah and this yeah. is I mean I think this is why this episode stands out as iconic and like one of the most emblematic favorite episodes people love it you know like it's this and you know probably the Mr. Freeze Heart of Ice episode or like the
3: the big two that people
1: will always talk about
3: and, wow well that's, uh, that's great to know I'm, uh, th- yeah. thanks for filling me in oh that. man
1: uh, if you didn't know yeah it's, <laughs> it truly is uh, Great Ghost is incredible
3: now, you like On Leather Wings?
1: I like On Leather Wings, It's yeah.
3: action-packed. It's beautifully produced and action-packed. I think yeah. it's a
1: great first episode. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah. I really think... Yeah. There's so, I mean, it looks visually, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it like, sets the tone immediately. And also, you know, something about Man-Bat-Batman yeah. is just a fun way to yeah. kick things off. Not have, like, a villain people know a lot Who about. played
3: him? The man bat. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's you know what? It's the guy who ended up being the beast master. Yes, of course it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget his yep.
3: name, uh, but he absolutely, actually,
1: he came and spoke to my. Drama class when I was in uh, high school, yeah. and I was like really excited because, like, that's the man, He's bat. the beastmaster, too. Yeah. Oh, that you said I was, it was a man excited bat. about man bat and like, nobody, you know. I had a yeah. couple, like, my good buddy was like, Yeah, I know who man bat is, but otherwise, <laughs> it was just like me and my friend. Uh, beautiful,
3: beautiful, yeah. yeah. Now, how about what's your favorite uh, episode in which Harley Quinn appears? Oh man,
1: probably Harley Quinnade, yeah. Uh, yeah, the one where she and you know, Batman have to team up to kind of help find the Joker, or is she like, you know, helps yeah. him find the Joker because he's going to nuke Gotham. Yeah. Um, there's something, I mean, Mad Love is yeah. incredible. I wanted to talk a little bit about Freakazoid and some of your other sure. stuff as well. Oh, Because I was a, you know, I don't know, I come from a comedy background, but I love Batman. I love this kind of Well, tell stuff. me a little bit about
3: that. I got, I got into improv comedy. Improv to me is... Uh... It, it's genius. Uh, when it's working, it's just—it's uh, about as funny and entertaining as anything on earth. Yeah. And uh, I can tell you, uh, uh, in having tried it, I think it's really difficult. <laughs> it, in other words, it's—it's. It's, uh, some people are brilliant at it, like Rug uh, Freakazoid, and yeah. uh, and then others. It's you know, it's it's not that easy.
1: Which you know, gotta say, love Freakazoid. I mean, especially coming from. I feel like I saw Batman first. Batman, it all kind of blurs for me into like a.
3: Well, Steven and- saw what a big success Batman was, and he, he knew Paul already from Tiny Toons, and he uh, he knew Bruce and Eric, so they got together, and uh, Steven said, "I want, I want my Batman, but but I want it to be a, a, a comedy superhero," and so they took a shot at it. And uh, Stephen liked it, but wanted it to be funnier and funnier and funnier. And ultimately, uh, uh, Bruce and, and Paul were too busy with Batman to keep going on it. So it shifted over to my area, which was like the Animaniacs area. And uh, so I I started to develop it as more of a comedy, and it got pretty zany. And I got Rugg and uh, Paul Rugg and John McCann involved in in writing some new material. And we wrote a few scripts. Stephen said, "Okay, let's record some. But we didn't have a voice for for Freakazoid yet. So we really auditioned everybody uh, who might be interested in doing... uh, Kind of a zany superhero, and the tendency, uh, I think, not not to fault anyone, but the tendency was, you know, to be sort of wacky and sort of like, yeah, that, yeah! you know, and that kind of crazed, yeah. and uh, and it really wasn't happening. So I, I we recorded a, a half hour with with someone, and I, 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 for the life of me, I I probably could recall, but uh, and it really wasn't happening. And so at the end of that session I said uh, Paul oh Paul uh Paul Rugg, uh why don't you walk through this and and just give us give us a reading and uh let's, what would you do and in in that session we we really took our time mm-hmm. and we really super we we took a lot of time we said okay now throw the script away and do that scene and just like wing it.
1: What a fun way of doing things too. Well, for that's everybody. the
3: first. That's the first time we 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 did that where, it, where where I was working in places where I was working. that's the first time uh, I ever said okay. Just now, let's just make it up. And he did stuff at, at that point that made it into actual episodes. Uh, just crazy stuff where he's uh, talking to a cave guy and and just sort of like. Uh, encouraging the entire uh, uh, school to uh, get involved in this dance. Everybody everybody, get down, be quiet. Okay, let's get loud again. And it, it was crazy. And uh, But, boy, when that got animated, it was so alive.
1: Yeah, well, I bet it gave something the animators to play
3: with, too. Uh, there's, like, just something electric and energetic about that. Absolutely. Um, so, anyway, Rug... Uh, Justin being a brilliant improv guy really uh, landed the role uh, uh, for that reason, that he he just could kind of add a lot to every script. Um, He was a big fan of Joe Leahy. Uh, He encouraged us to get Kenny Mars in (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) to play sort of the same role he played in Young Frankenstein. Um, We had The Loeb. Uh, of course, hey, you brought
1: in David Warner, who was whatever Rachel Gould on Batman.
3: <laughs> David Warner, playing
1: like the comedy version of a villain.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, the lobe, just fabulous, and he, they, they sang like Hello Dolly songs. I mean, uh, Rug and McCann just added so much uh, comedy zaniness to all the scripts that a lot of people. Uh, I, I think uh, there are people that had worked on it that thought oh my gosh this show there are no rules here it's just (laughs) insane and uh i think that's fair it was it was pretty whacked out um how much
1: did you tap into the improvised nature of it like in the booth were you did you like harness that kind of as like this is the tool of the show this is what makes it what it is
3: yes uh we tried to always um have a moment or two where we would just let paul all right make something up and uh like, for instance, at one point during, uh, I think it's um, I, it's the name that I can't say or I'll get abducted. Okay. It, it begins with the word candle, mm-hmm. and uh, it ends with uh, A-C-K, and there's a letter. Anyway, so uh, in the middle of that, Paul if Paul had an idea, and he said, all right, we'll just run with it. And, he, and, he, <laughs> and so he's playing Freakers, and he's tied up. But he, but he he, says, wait, I just want to take a moment here. And he goes into, into his sort of Jerry Lewis, serious Jerry Lewis work. I just want to say, it's this has been just incredible to have all these great, great talents here. I, I mean, there's Kenny Mars. Is he beautiful? Of course he is. There's Joe Leahy, our announcer. <laughs> is there a better announcer on earth? No. And Anyway, he just does sort of a tribute to everybody in the cast. And then he gets back tied up again. But in that same episode... Uh, The candle uh, episode Um, That's the first time In Freakazoid we use The Agar and Wipe Which uh, Freakazoid calls up uh, This reference uh, To uh, an old F Troop episode Where Freakazoid Is telling his girlfriend That oh I I, I would love to do a, A scene where You know Uh like in F Troop, where the Sarge would say, Agarn, you're going to wear that dress. And and Agarn says, no, I'm not going to wear that dress. And Sarge says, you're going to wear that dress. And he says, no, I'm not going to wear that dress. And then then we do a quick, like, wipe. And there's Agarn wearing a dress going, oh, (laughs) Hakawis! And it was a funny bit that Ruggs sort of, like, improv right there on the spot. But then uh, our editor, Al Breitenbach, went into the library and... uh, It turns out F Troop was made by Warner Brothers. (laughs) What a perfect thing. (laughs) And he actually found the actual clip, the, I'm not going to wear that dress. Yes, you're going to wear that dress. And then the wipe. And then there's Agarn. Oh, Hakawi's wearing a dress. It was, that was a, a beautiful moment.
1: Well, it just felt like you guys joyously broke the fourth wall. Like in a way that like anything was possible, but like in the name of fun. That's right. Uh, and, I don't know, for me, that's what, like, defined... Uh, a lot of my comedic sensibility was watching this and, like, Animaniacs, where it was run with it. Like, I didn't always get the reference, but it taught me <laughs> a certain reference point.
3: There's almost a... You didn't need to always get the reference, but there was almost like a pace to it. Yes. Uh, a, a beat to it that made huh? sense. Yeah. Well, thank you for making it. <laughs> oh, well... It, it, uh, just uh, a really uh, a joyous uh, production. And you did Road Rovers too? Yes. Road Rovers. Road Rovers was uh, like a 13 episode one off. That's too bad. It, it could have, it probably should have gone longer. It was
1: short lived, but I, I remember watching it and loving it.
3: Well, Is there's that... something that uh, very, few people, very few people know. There are, uh, if you take episode one and then uh, three other episodes. Uh, and I don't know the numbers of them. We made 13. But you take episode one and then uh, episode, it's something like uh, 11, 12, and 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and run them together. They they are a perfect loop that could go on forever. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's something that somebody should do, but... Was
1: that something that you guys intended to do from the beginning Or like at the end you were like Well we're only getting a season Let's make this an infinite loop
3: It was toward the end Oh
1: that's so fun
3: (laughs) Yeah but uh, anyway So uh, somebody needs to put that together out there (laughs) Yeah do it internet Well let's get together and talk about Animaniacs someday Yes I would love to Let's do that So
1: thanks so much for stopping by Tom Well it's
3: been a pleasure and uh, keep going Thank you Go Batman
1: Moving right along, let's chat with today's fan, Robert ben Garant. Okay, guys, this is truthfully one of the very oldest interviews I did for this podcast. We recorded it after the very first episode almost two years ago, and I held off on releasing because there was at one point a good chance that Adam West would be sitting down for the show. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out. Fortunately, this interview with Ben is incredible unto itself. He's a seminal member of the sketch comedy supergroup The State, co-created Reno 911, and writes screenplays with Tom Lennon. If you are a comedy fan and a Batman fan, this is a wonderful crossover. He's also a great and successful screenwriter who writes with Tom Lennon, stuff like the United the Museum franchise and the upcoming Baywatch movie. He's a huge fan of the animated series and Batman in general, so much that he's got a Joker tattoo, and it was wonderful to chat with him. So please, enjoy. Okay, now we're officially recording. We're officially Great. recording for the podcast. I'm sitting here with Ben Garant. Robert Ben Garant, what are you? Doesn't matter. Robert Ben Garant's fine. RBG? Uh, sure. Okay. Bob, I get a lot of. It doesn't <laughs> Bob? matter. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I'm sitting down with Bob, Yeah. and we're here to talk about Batman the Animated Series, obviously, Woo-hoo. and you specifically chose Beware the Grey Ghost.
2: I did. Um, I, I liked the Joker episodes a lot. And other than the Joker episodes, the one I really remembered was Grey Ghost. I think... There's just a lot of interesting things in it. And also, Adam West. It's so cool that they had Adam West perform a part on this show. One of the many cool things that they pulled off on this animated series. But yeah, I like this episode. It was I haven't seen the show in
1: 20 years, and this was one of the ones that I distinctly remembered. Did you watch the show actively when it was on, or was it kind of like, oh, you heard about it, you watched a few episodes?
2: I watched... A, I think I... When it first started, there was like a lot of buzz about it for some reason, and I don't remember why, but I remember looking forward to it being on. And I, I did watch the first season, I think, pretty regularly. I, I don't even remember what year it was. What year? It was? 1992. 92. Okay. So I was smoking dope in New York City. And and I remember us being excited to to see it. And, yeah, I watched the first several and really, really liked it. I, I think I was with some state guys, and we all kind of made appointment television to, to check it out. And the first one I, I really enjoyed. And then the movie... Mask of the Phantasm, I saw in the theater, uh, which is the same production, everybody. Same it was writers, incredible. Also just like yeah. higher quality. Yeah, really pretty. Like, uh, And so I was aware of the show when it was on. I don't know if I saw all of them, but I do remember that it was appointment television. And I enjoyed the hell out of it and rushed to go see the movie. I think I saw the movie by myself in Arizona uh, <laughs> over like Christmas break, visiting my folks. Um, and the theater was not packed, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. So you
1: watched this with... Other state guys. I
2: think so, and And I don't remember who. I know probably Todd. Todd's a big uh, nerd, and it was probably us with maybe Marino and Joe, just because that was sort of the dope-smoking group of the state, Um, but I don't really remember.
1: Your intro to Batman, the animated series, was so different than mine. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty funny. You were stoned watching it, and I was like a little kid who was just stoned on life.
2: <laughs> uh, that's my experience of watching the old Adam West show. Because you said that you watched it in like binge watching around the holidays. Mm-hmm. But I it used to be on at 4 o'clock when I was in like fourth grade. And so I I, I watched it with no irony, with no sense... That it was a joke, you know. I was a little kid and loved it, and I was genuinely worried that something was going to happen to Robin at the end of the cliffhanger. And I was not aware. I'm so happy that I got to see it at that age because I was totally unaware how funny it is. And oh yeah, so, it's
1: super enjoyable just from a kid's perspective. It's I thought just it was a fun serious adventure show. I
2: thought it was serious. I thought it was totally. I thought Adam West was a terrific, serious Batman. And, it, and watching it now, I have a two year old, and we just bought the big Blu ray set. And she loves it. I think it's because of the colors and stuff. But she says, Batman, Batman. (laughs) It's one of the things. She wants to see Batman or Jack-o'-lantern, which is what she calls Nightmare Before Christmas. But Batman is part of our regular kind of thing that she watches to wind down before her bath. And she loves it. It's great. and So it's fun to watch it. The Adam West show... They are so funny. They're so aware of how funny it is. And the writing is so sharp. And the performances, especially Burgess Meredith and Frank Gorshin, they're so funny. They're so aware of how funny they are. And it's wonderful. And especially as the series gets into like the second or third season, they're so sharp at making jokes. And the jokes are so good. It's really, really... Great TV. It's I feel like it's a lesson in pure commitment. Pure too. commitment. Pure commitment. Because it's funnier than The Tick. Like The Tick is trying too hard, and, and, yeah. and, and Batman just does it it's so great there's a like in the movie when they call the department of the navy and he looks up on his rolodex who they've sold nuclear submarines to uh and they didn't get the address of the guy they sold it. it's pn gwen at a post office box <laughs> and and it's that's just brilliant it's so commitment it's it's better it's it's as focused as like a will good will ferrell movie it's yeah. really really
1: good it's neat good writing So, one of the coolest parts about this episode, Beware the Grey Ghost, in particular, is that they do bring Adam West in. He's the Grey Ghost. I mean, fans of the show know that this is a really popular episode with fans of the animated series. So, uh, one of the coolest things is that they brought in, like, old Batman to play with the new Batman, at the time, at least.
2: Pretty neat. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of... I watched this one last night. And I hadn't seen any of the Batman the Animated Series in, I guess, now like 20 years. In my opinion, this is my favorite incarnation of Batman. I, I think that Batman the Animated Series is, is to me, better than the Nolan ones or, oh, yeah. or, or the Tim Burton one, which doesn't even register in my book. Um, but I, I think that it's pure to what Batman is, in a way... That The Nolan ones aren't. I think the Nolan ones are good, especially the first one. But these are, they are very reminiscent of the old 30s and 40s comics and the Frank Miller. The look very much ties them together. And the tone of it is perfect. I think somewhere, especially along the third Nolan movie, he forgot that Batman likes what he does. He forgot that... Batman's for kids. They, they, he forgot that Batman's about a guy dressed as a bat running around chasing a guy acting like a penguin, and kids need to be able to see it. And you and can he, only
1: make it so grounded. You can
2: only make it so grounded. And and also, like Chris Nolan made two Batman movies that you can't take a kid to, and that's crazy. It's about a guy dressed like a bat, and and it's and I don't think that means it needs to be watered down or dumb. Like for example, Batman in the Gray Ghost one, and just looking at it as a writer, Batman watches it with his dad. Like, and he falls asleep in front of the TV with his dad. Mm-hmm. And his dad scoops him up and takes him up to his room. And that's wonderful. Like, that's such a truer Batman than a, than a Batman, than a Bruce Wayne's dad who's like, you know, with great money comes great responsibility. Like, and, Okay, and, I'll
1: dress up like a terrifying Batman. Yeah, <laughs> it's like
2: the, the love. And it's in all of the episodes of the old Batman. Like, he loved his dad. And it wasn't this cold, kind of weird, sterile relationship in Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think in Batman Begins, if that dad died... You'd be really sad, and part of you would be like, "Phew, you know, thank God!" Like that guy never hug. They don't <laughs> hug. They don't hug in Batman Begins. It's not like this warm, loving relationship. And you, the mom doesn't even talk. Like, and so it's this weird, the love that Batman, that Bruce Wayne had for his father and mother. Is is really there in the Gray Ghost begins? Yeah, never thought about that. And, and and it's and that's what makes him do it. It's not he's not this cold calculating kid who he's he's a little kid and his world gets shattered. And that's not in the Nolan movies.
1: No, and, I mean, how are you supposed to care about characters dying? Yeah, <laughs> they're not people you care about. Period.
2: Uh, don't worry about it, Bruce. Like <laughs> and, and like Bruce is always like in a tie and a suit and he's going to the opera and like what a horrible life for what a little horrible kid.
1: life for a little kid and like We're taking and, you to something you will not understand you won't understand this
2: and we're putting you in a tuxedo and and like and and we don't and i don't hug you when you're scared Mm -hmm. you know it's it's this thing and in the the gray ghost like the reason he loves the gray ghost he says i used to watch this with my father and Mm -hmm. it's like that's batman like that that is why he is batman is because he loved his parents and not because he has a ton of money uh, but because he loves his parents And, and in that that sort of detail is in these animated shows that i think is truer to Batman than any other incarnation, and I think it makes Batman relatable to kids. And I think that that's why Batman has been around for seventy-five years, not because he's this computer, you know, that the, this cold, calculating computer that can figure out crime, but because he he loved his folks and mm-hmm. he enjoys what he does. And I and I love the little. You know Conroy, right? That's the guy's voice. Mm-hmm. Like Con, like the gr- the grin in his voice sometimes, especially when he meets the Great Ghost. Like that he sees him and he's happy to he's see. He's a giddy little kid. He's again. a giddy little kid. And then when the Great Ghost like doesn't want to help him, he's crushed. He's very much disappointed because he loved this guy as a little kid. And then when the Grey Ghost come back and help him, he's genuinely thrilled to be working with his hero. And and that's. You know that I think that's that's Batman. And and I think that the the Nolan ones are a version of Batman. That's mm-hmm. really good, but it's it's a little too cold. And and I think by the third one they'd completely forgotten that Batman should be for kids too. I don't think it needs to be just for kids, but it's for kids too. Um I, I think that's one of the great things about Batman the animated series. And and this episode watching it last night really just you know, the details that they hit of that humanity of Bruce Wayne is is great. And 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 it, it sounds like I'm overselling it. But if you watch a little bit of this show, these little tiny hints are great. Batman has fun. Batman enjoys his job in this show. Not mm-hmm. that he's goofy, but he he when 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 things are rough, he takes it very, very seriously and he gets mad. But sometimes he lightens up and enjoys what he does, which is Really fun to watch, and well, yeah, and-
1: because we've reached a point in time where, like, Batman is dour and serious, and and just this pained, overwrought human being that, like, honestly, is psychologically unstable. Versus a character that you you know, like, he is a, a, a hero for kids,
2: which I think is cool, and I think that the, the unstable Batman, I. I'm not a historian of Batman, but I think it started with Arkham Asylum. Like, Arkham Asylum, you know the comic, the yeah. weird crazy... Because like, that's when he's like, he's a cutter in that. Like, he stabs yeah. himself in the hand because he's so tortured about his parents. And I, I think that it's cool exploration of Batman that he would be as crazy as the... The, the dialogue became, Batman's as crazy as the people he's after. And that's interesting, but it's not the Batman it's not the original Batman. the original Batman, like I have a lot of the old forties comics, and he the tone of the Adam West show is not that far off like he he gives lectures in downtown Gotham hmm. on, in costume on how a citizen can be better at law enforcement like and, and it's and it's cool it's neat, and i don't think Batman needs to be that silly but the idea that he's a psychopath, and especially the new 52, like, he's a psychopath. And, and I think that's neat, but I, I prefer, and I like that. And, but on my stack of Batmans, I put this one better because I, I think the animated series is a fun adventure. I think it's much closer to Zorro yeah, than than, than the new incarnation. And, and I think Zorro has a blast, and I think that this Batman when things are good, is having a really good time. And I love that. I I, I just think that's a, it's a great exploration. And to me, I think that the reason that Batman has been around for 75 years is the wish fulfillment of kids. The kids see it and they think, oh, I could do that. And the Batman who lives alone in his castle and cuts himself is not that. I think it's because Either you
1: don't want to do that or you hope that the kid doesn't want to yeah, do that. Yeah, and
2: it's too grown up. I think. I think... Batman has become, in a lot of the incarnations in the comic books, just for forty-year-old weird men, <laughs> and, 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 and 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 I think that's not great, you know. And I, I think, you know, I think that that's okay that there is that version of Batman out there, but I, I just wish that somebody would come and make a good Batman that you can also take your kids to, you yeah. know. You know, I just think that Batman should—it's a—you know—he dresses like a bat and he's got a bat rope. Again, it should be something that a kid can understand, and I think the wish fulfillment is the is what superheroes are I yeah. think this series really remembers that i think this series yeah he's he is batman he lost his parents that's why he does what he does and he is totally sad when he thinks about his parents but he's not totally sad every minute of every day you know, no. like like he's absorbed he's found a way to absorb himself in fixing the problem even though he knows he'll never ever have his parents back and i think that the old show does
1: that really really well Well, that's what I love about this episode. I mean, talking about that wish fulfillment aspect of it, there's no great, like, as a kid, you can connect to Batman more so than any other episode because you see little Batman connecting to the Grey Ghost as you would to Batman. Yeah. And that's how it starts. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, we sort of touched on that, but it's like having that, like, direct line of, like, me to Batman, Batman to the Grey Ghost, it's like what a cool thing too. There's a neat,
2: and this is another thing, And it's interesting because I wonder if the right, if Zorro, is owned by somebody.
1: I think Zorro is what they originally used in the comics. In the the comic books very
2: specifically, his parents are killed when taking him to Zorro. Very specifically. Which is which is a huge part of the Batman puzzle. Like Mm -hmm. he didn't leave an opera and get killed. He left Zorro. And so that he's thinking Zorro Mm -hmm. and pretending is Zorro and his parents are killed. And so becoming Batman is the decision of a ten year old boy. Yeah. Which which that's Batman. Nobody an, an
1: adult wouldn't do that. The
2: adult wouldn't do that, but a ten-year-old boy who just stepped out of Zorro is mm-hmm. says, "Okay, this is what I'm gonna do," and and that's interesting, and I, and I and that's the old comic books. That that's the original. That's when they are killed, coming out of Zorro. Yeah. And and Zorro, there was I guess technically the first superhero is probably Scarlet Pimpernel, probably because Scarlet Pimpernel predates Zorro. Um, and Scarlet Pimpernel pretends he's this foppy guy and puts on a mask and goes and fights, you know, the the, uh, the citizens of the French Revolution. And, and he's great. And then Zorro came pretty close after that. I think 1914, I think, was the book. Curse of Capistrano. And so, like, I, I think, even though Scarlet Pimpernel was first, like... That's an American invention, like the superhero. It, it's certainly something that we stole from the British and then went running with. And so yeah. we really sort of made it into this this thing that we do, superheroes. And I, I think that remembering that he walked out of Zorro is a really big part of why Batman is Batman historically. And I, I, and I, I wonder, I go back to, I wonder if Zorro, because the book has got to be public domain, but I wonder if Warner Brothers or somebody else owns Zorro. Zoro Yeah, I'm not I sure why. why they not use wonder why it was Grey Ghost it. instead of Zorro. I mean, I love that they use. Grey that Ghost. I love that they invented
1: this character it's for him. But um, I
2: wonder why it's not Zoro and I wonder if that's
1: Rights holders. It's you, probably a licensing yeah, issue. Yeah, but it's
2: a licensing issue. But I love that it's Grey Ghost. It's really neat.
1: Well, it, it's a cool reason. I mean, it's like that old limitation breeds creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Or like, whatever, like Jaws wouldn't have been Jaws if the shark didn't work all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like... It's neat. They yeah. couldn't use Zorro probably, so they had to invent this other character that is so much cooler in so this So interesting. Mythos. Yeah,
2: it's really great. And it, it it really... It's it's fun. It's it's a lot more visual. And it's very... I love the 40s-ness of it. It's yeah. It's really, really well, cool. Well, and
1: this episode in particular really embraces that 40s 40s of it, because it's about him watching serials. Yeah, uh, it's neat. You know, So yeah. it's like the, the plot of a serial in a world that's sort of influenced by serials already.
2: Yeah, it's great. And there's something of, like, the nerd, the nerdiness, the wonderful nerdiness of that batman has a place in the cave that he's got a bunch of nerdy toys. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> you kids. It's just, <laughs> just like you kids. And that's that's pretty great. Like that's pretty that's that's pretty neat. It's all the
1: cool little I mean like the actual Greg Ghost poster looking like the Batman the animated series logo. It's pretty
2: neat. I mean cuz the original I mean the bat cave everything that batman has Zorro has. And, and so and I'm sure if you were a kid in the 30s reading Batman it really would have resonated that this millionaire Saw Zorro and then made himself into Zorro. Yeah, because Zorro is the fox. That's that's the fox. And so instead of a fox, he's a bat. He's a flying fox. But he has a cave. And he but he has all, all of the stuff in the old Zorro book is like Bob Kane just took it and yeah. was like, yeah, let's let's make it a kid who saw Zorro and bought all of his toys and just
1: did it. I mean, Batman's the ultimate nerdy collector. Like, yeah, he keeps all of those. You know, like the big Two faced penny, the big Joker card, the dinosaur, a Mister Freeze gun. It's like it's, okay, it's pretty great. It's,
2: great, yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, it's neat. Um, But I love, and Adam West, so so picking Adam West to do this, to me, is so
1: inspired because it's
2: pre- like, what was Family Guy? What would yeah, you say is, before, is his, like, comeback? Family Guy, right? I like, think
1: Yeah, I think Family Guy was his big comeback. I think, yeah. you know, he showed up on The Simpsons a couple times, and it was like a one-off And he joke. had a Batmobile, like, yeah, in The Simpsons. I remember that. He, like, did the Batusi. Yeah. Um, I think he showed up, like, on a couple cartoons like this, or, like, what Kim Possible. Some Disney cartoon. But otherwise, I think he wasn't really in the public eye. Yeah. I think the coolest thing about Adam West is that he's down to embrace that image of himself. It's pretty neat. And it's not... Sad. You no, know, like I there's a that... version of that that could be like, uh, you know, like an actor who's like hasn't done stuff for a while and is like, yeah, I'll 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 do it, and which is what this episode is about. But Adam Adam West is like a cool guy and he gets it. Too. We
2: we met him. Uh, after the state, um, me and Tom Lennon and Mike Black had a show called Viva Variety. Yeah, and it lasted three seasons. It was so much fun, and and so um, and you can't get it anywhere. There's like some clips on the internet, but not much. But we we did more of those than we did of the state. We huh. did like forty episodes, um, and so one of the kid. The premise was that it was a fictional. Uh, Foreign TV show that it's been on for years and years and years, and now it's just airing in the states for the first time. So our attitude was, we're already huge stars, but but we all talk in these weird accents. And Michael Ian Black was Johnny Blue Jeans, who was like the hip young character. But because we were from like Belgium or something, all of his pop culture references were like rerun and dynamite. Like he he was he'd only seen like reruns of stuff from the states, so all of his pop culture was really dated. And so he, we did this series where he would do Johnny Blue Jean's celebrity daydreams, where he would sort of fade out, and then he would we would show his dream. And one of them was he was on Dagobah with Dick Clark, and Dick Clark was giving him like Yoda advice. And one of them was he was in the Olympics with Ali Sheedy, and they were like uh, Bob the bobsledding team. So it was like really weird '80s celebrities. And then we did one that was a roast that he was being roasted by Adam West. Because him is oh I love you Adam West that he was good friends with Adam West and so Adam West was up there roasting his good friend Johnny Blue Jeans and so we got to work with with Adam West yeah what day. was that like he was great he came in and like we, we went into his dressing room and I was super nervous because I loved him since I was a little yeah this kid. was your Batman yeah it was like I, and he was he was very weird and really funny and so we we pitched him the joke and he kind of riffed with us and he was and I remember the thing he said was like just like he stopped in the middle of kind of pitching jokes to each other and said, wait, just stop. Take in the energy in this room. It's like drummers. It's like we're drumming. It's great. Okay, keep going. And we were just like, oh my God. He sounds like that, a character he plays. That's like, But he was, he was super funny and like telling stories of like Sammy Davis Jr. and all the people he met on the show. And it was like he just walked off the set yesterday and it had been 20 years. And he really, he was not tired of Batman questions he knew we would ask them and he really enjoyed
1: it. What I love about this episode of the Great Ghost is I mean also Adam West's performance. He's is, perfect. Is great. He's a uh, great almost, sad it's one of the saddest actor. episodes.
2: Yeah, he's a great sad actor and it really takes its time with him like Hawking all oh, of when his he pawns merchandise. That
1: merchandise it's really hard to watch. Yeah,
2: it's and he's good. He he owns the performance. So he really acts this this role and it makes it really grounded and real. And and yeah. Kevin Conroy is Fantastic, like he does this full arc of of remembering this old superhero, and he lightens up. I love that he like gets some popcorn when he watches this old yeah. show and enjoys watching this old show that he's he is trying to solve a crime which he is, but he has joy in his heart, and it 's good writing because. Every single time he mentions the Grey Ghost in this episode, he says, I used to watch it with my father. And so it's not just this light, oh, this was a good show, but it's a very specific memory of him with his parents, and it it really does it really, really it connects well. connects to it, yeah. It connects to it, and his, his, he has an arc in the show. I just said superhero movies don't have an arc, but Kevin Conroy has an arc in this. He really looks for the Grey Ghost. He's crushed when the Grey Ghost doesn't want to help him, and then he's so happy and elated when the Grey Ghost comes and it helps him in the end, and it's a real... You know, twenty-minute show with a genuine kind of moving story, which
1: and is, it's, he's such a okay. Batman's a sweetheart at the end. He yeah. buys him, he rebuys all the merchandise and leaves it in there, which could have been a very cheesy, like ah shucks moment, but it, it resonates.
2: It's pretty great, and and he disappoints him after that, which is nice. Like the Gray Ghost disappoints him as a person after he buys all the yeah. stuff, which is really good. It's like th- these are really, really well-written shows. Uh, I think. I mean they they they're tight they're they're funny when they try to be funny but most of the times they don't even try to be funny and and I got to say and he's not in this episode Mark Hamill is the best Joker ever. He's a better Joker than any other Joker. Yep. A- a- and he'll always be the Joker. He's today. always the Joker. And, and people who don't know this show sh- need to watch it. And, and And it's shocking. He is the Joker. Heath Ledger is an interesting version of the Joker.
1: Yeah, and it's a great, great, great performance. It's a
2: great performance. And, and it's
1: great. And it's, it's like a re- great modern dark take on the Joker. It's a
2: great modern dark take on the Joker... Uh, Mark Hamill just
1: is the Joker. This, from, yeah, from, Mark from, Hamill's Joker gives you chills too. I mean, he great. can switch from funny to terrifying in a second. He he is the embodiment of I think the seventy
2: five years of the comic book. He's mm-hmm. the old forties gangster. He's the crazy seventies Joker who would make jokes and then kill somebody. Like he is. He's seventy five years of all the different writers' versions of the Joker. Mark Hamill embodies them. Perfectly. And it's it's great. I mean, I think like one of the just to nerd out on Batman, I'm a big Batman fan.
1: Like, how dare you nerd out on a Batman podcast?
2: um, Batman is there are very few historically characters that are written by many, many different writers over a 100 years gods you know the the greek gods you know yeah. that they were, were written by many different writers would tell stories of mars and oedipus and and you know those old stories but not for a 100 years um and, and batman writers have been writing different stories about batman for 75 years that's interesting like there 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 aren't Other characters like that, like there, there aren't many. Like the 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 Greek gods, Um, some historical figures, but not really. Um, And so, you have this 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 character, and everybody knows the ground rules of the character. We know why he's Batman. We know why he's the Joker, and. Writers are able to update him every 10 years to be like, oh, okay, gangsters aren't really in anymore. We're going to have to create supervillains. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and then, okay, Joker was a... was a, What is he wearing? Cloud makeup or what? We have to explain that. And then in the 50s, they explain it. Oh, wow, he looks like that all the time. He's really died like that. And then in the 70s, people are like, well, what if he's really crazy? What if he's not just a bad guy? What if he's legitimately insane and doesn't... What? And it's very interesting that and it, and Nolan is a part of that he's a part of 75 years of many different sometimes very talented people adding to a legend and and that's again that's a uniquely american thing and like jazz jazz is you take an old song and you play it your own way mm-hmm. and and america has superheroes where we've taken these people that we we own as a culture and we change them and sculpt them and mold them
1: and they're a reflection of you know where we are right now and they're a reflection I mean, of where we are right stuff, now stuff this is going to sound like whatever trite, uh, but it feels like a very like it's a post 9/11 batman it's a post 9/11 batman like it's yeah. like yeah. Our, you know dreams are shattered we need to face this grim reality Yeah. and so we need an explanation about every little detail
2: yeah it's interesting and i think by the third batman movie they forgot batman has a good heart and superman has a good heart and and i think in the through all all the flaws of Tony Stark, he has a good heart, and and that's what yeah. the movie's about, you know. And, and and I think that's what Batman is about, the and this, that's what
1: this series is about. That's what this the series anime series. Is about. He has a good heart. He has like, a good heart. Batman buying that stuff for the Gray Ghost, you know. Like I feel like in a lot of the episodes, it's like there's usually like if Batman can save the villain, he'll try to do that before he takes them down. Or if he can give like a two bit crook a job at Wayne Industries, like that taught kids to like, hey, you know what? Don't. Well, don't judge a book by its cover, but also, like, try to help people before you take them down.
2: And it's what the Wound, the Wayne Foundation does, and it does it in the series. I mean, they, they're they trying to keep kids off the streets. Mm-hmm. They have orphanages, and, and in the series, you see that. You see he he's not just breaking people's faces, but when he goes to Crime Alley, there's an orphanage there that he pays for. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's really, like, he has a good heart. And there's a thing that I think by the second Nolan movie, they forgot. It became this esoteric we're into your game, Batman. You don't kill people. But they didn't address why. And in the series, it's because he's a good guy. It's, it's not because he has this rule that he's not going to cross. And I wish I could kill you, Joker, but I can't. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's not going to kill him because he's a good person. And no matter. He wants Joker locked away so he can't hurt people, but he's not going to kill him because he's not a villain. And in the Nolan movies, they forgot that. And it became this esoteric, we're under your rules. I know you won't kill people. But it's not because he's a great guy. It's In the Batman animated series, it's because he's a hero. He's a hero. He's a
1: human being. <laughs> he's a human
2: being and a hero. And he's not a psychotic murderer. So, yeah, it's interesting.
1: What do you think, as a writer, uh, what, what have you pulled from this series? What could you pull from the series? Is there anything that stands out?
2: Uh, I hadn't really thought about why this series is so true to, I think, the legend of Batman until you invited me on this thing and I watched it. And I, and I really do think it's, it's that it's, he has a, he's a hero. He, he has a good heart. He's not a psychopath on a mission to wipe out crime. He's a good person who's on a mission to work out crime, to wipe out crime, and and I and I think that's cool, and I and I think that that's an obvious point that most superhero movies remember, but somehow DC has strayed from that a little bit, and now it's going to be twenty years before there's another incarnation of Batman, and I I hope that it's more like the animated series than it is like the third Batman movie. I think Mask of the Phantasm is my favorite Batman movie. Me too. I, I, It's just, because it's true. It's, it, it's true to the series, but it's genuinely entertaining. And I love that it's not anybody's origin story. It's like, here's Batman. Like, it, it begins with these, these beating up criminals who are doing counterfeit money. And so it's, we all, we know, we know how he's Batman. We don't have to do another movie that shows his origin. Why don't they just start these superhero movies with, he's going, here we are. Like, he's, Ant-Man's been Ant-Man for 20 years, and here he is. Here's a new villain, which which I love. Uh, I think that—I I, I hope that they do another animated series with this team.
1: Now, Fernie, Alex Fernie, a uh, mutual friend of ours, uh, said that you have a Joker tattoo.
2: I have a Joker tattoo. Killing joke. Oh, man. Which I bought before the, the Tim Burton movie— and everybody got joker tattoos. But when the Tim Burton movie came out, it was like, oh man, like everybody got a joker tattoo. And some people had Jack Nicholson joker tattoos, which I'm glad I did not get. So well, I, I just got
1: basically just have a weird Jack Nicholson weird on your Jack body, <laughs> Nicholson
2: on your body, which is pretty strange. But yeah, I got this when I was like 19. Yeah, 19. It was my first tattoo, and I got it while I was on tour as a teenage mutant ninja turtle. Wait, what? Uh yeah, I was a uh, me and Mike Black, were teenage mutant ninja turtles. For the tour in 1989,
1: was this like coinciding with the movie?
2: No, it was uh, it was after the first movie and before the Vanilla Ice movie. It okay. was when it was a tour that started at Radio City Music Hall in partnership with Pizza Hut, and they had an album. And so they came, and it was a concert. For, it was for kids, and uh, but it was it was really cool. It was like uh it was a musical concert. They played ten songs, and Shredder attacked in the middle of the concert and kidnapped April. And it, I, I toured for nine months. Um, I dropped out of NYU to do this tour because it was so much money. It was it was great. It paid off college and everything. And me and Michael Black. Um, I was Michelangelo and he was Raphael. And we were advanced turtles. So we traveled in advance of the tour doing radio interviews. And we went to... Uh, children's hospitals, and we went to schools, and it was in cooperation with DARE to keep kids off drugs, Mm -hmm. and we did Make-A-Wish. Like, a lot of kids' Make-A-Wish was to have pizza with a turtle, and so we would go and have pizza with a... They would throw a pizza... That must have been incredible. It was incredible. And we would throw... The pizza would throw a party for Make-A-Wish kids and all their friends, and Michael Angelo would come in and rap with them for, you know, 20 minutes, um, and just talk to them. Um, But we had the real heads you know we looked like the movie one it was really that we had remote control heads that like opened and closed and the eyes around so when kids were with us they didn't they they didn't think oh this is a guy in a costume like we looked like the turtles it was really cool um and i was a big joker huge joker fan um and so i got a Tattoo on that tour when I was in L.A. I felt like I'm in L.A. I should get a tattoo. I should get a Joker tattoo. <laughs> I should get a Joker tattoo. Yeah, uh, yeah. Joker was very seminal for me. I really liked the Joker growing up, and when I started taking LSD uh, in college, the Joker really kind of hit home for me. That was when, <laughs> and that was when all that stuff. That was when the greatest Joker stories ever told came out, and Killing Joke and Arkham Asylum, which I as I just loved, loved those. Those were so dark and so fantastic. I think this this show is really, really. Great and clever. And the, the look of it is wonderful. Like, the look of it is a, I think it's a combination of the 40s look, but it's also got a lot of Frank Miller's year one. Like, the cops really look like Frank Miller's Gotham City and the yeah. blimps overhead and, like, the weird sort of armored vans. I love the retro in.
1: technology. Yeah, like None of it quite makes sense because it. it's, like, anachronistic, but it isn't. It's, like, this weird moment in time where they have enough technology that it feels like the present or at least at the time but also it feels like the past. I think that's why it holds up.
2: It's really not dated. And it, what I love about it is it gives Gotham City a personality that in the comic books it really has. Like in the in the in the movies. And I don't think, I don't know if it, you could pull it off in a movie, but I think you could probably only pull it I would off in an animation. To see a police
1: blimp in a movie.
2: Yeah, but but I don't think it would look so weird and silly, but in the in you know the Nolan movies Gotham City is Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason there's this one part of town that looks like a funhouse. You know, there's the you go to the straits or the Narrows. And the Narrows has like twisted, like there's cables everywhere and it's in tiny alleys and it looks like blade runner but then if you cross the bridge it's totally normal chicago which is very <laughs> strange and there's not it's not even like gothic or anything so it's very very weird there's just
1: it's, a sign that says don't go this don't way don't go this way
2: beware of this part of town but it's it's not even like the lower east side it's like this crazy world it's and, a nightmare yeah, it's, it's a, a nightmare. literal nightmare yeah and why in the world they would put the insane asylum right in the middle of town? That seems like really bad planning. Let's leave
1: it there. It's yeah, fine. It's already bad. It's already
2: <laughs> bad. But but there, and in the old in this series, Gotham feels like Gotham. It's a totally corrupt town. Like it's a it's a horrible. Like you get the feeling that it stopped economically twenty years ago because it's so corrupt. It's just it's great and the. The police have blimps, which is I mean, really Yeah, it's really like a great. very like
1: Fleischer style, too. Yeah, absolutely. Too. I mean, yeah. like those old Superman shorts were... They're really
2: boxy. The cars are really boxy. And, yeah. and And I love the cops. Yeah, the cops look like Frank Miller cops, which I love. Like, they're either in these huge blocky trench coats mm-hmm. or this weird sort of robo-copy body armor. And yeah. It's, it's, it's a great look. It really feels like Gotham City is a character in a way that... I don't think there's any other incarnation that has really pulled that off which is neat yeah well thanks for talking with yeah, me about totally. this thanks for having me this yeah. was great yeah thanks
1: last but certainly not least it's Andrea Romano the casting and voice director of the animated series closes things
0: out for us Well, there's so many villains in that world. And so uh, the thing was that I would actually kind of run out of actors after a while, and I'd have to um, really start a search. And, and there's a really interesting, um, you know, now, now we have a lot of internet searches we can do when we're looking for actors. But way back when there was, and there still exists, a book called The players' directory. And it's a two to six volume. It looks like a telephone book. Mm. And it's uh, created by the Screen Actors Guild. And it is uh, pictures and agency contact of all the actors that have signed up for this particular publication. And it's almost everybody that works. And so we would sit and page through hundreds of pages of actors' pictures and go, ooh, I know this actor from such and such. And, And then we would you know, find that actor through the agent and then talk to them about them. Interesting. Yes, and what's really cool about that is when we talk about, about the Grey Ghost, when Bruce Wayne or Batman, I forget, is looking for the actor who played the Grey Ghost, he opens the player's directory huh. and pages through to find... It was,
1: so it was an in-joke to the way that you cast it. Was. It well, was. let's talk about Beware the Grey Ghost.
0: Okay, let's.
1: Uh, it's one of my favorite episodes. Thank you, me too. Uh, oh, it's so good. Uh, it's talking about an episode that has pathos to it. It, ha- it tells us so much about Batman. What I love about it, um, and I-, I spoke with uh, the-, the other guest for this episode, will be uh, Robert Ben Grant. And he he was speaking about what he liked about it was uh, we see Batman, we see young Bruce Wayne not as like this fractured, broken child, but he had a childhood. It's a moment of happiness Uh, that's nice. And his father is a real father to Mm -hmm, him. mm -hmm. Uh, Also
0: voiced by Kevin Conway.
1: Yeah, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the depiction of Bruce's father uh, was not... Not a cold, austere man, which right. I feel like happens a lot in
2: Batman. Indeed,
0: and ah. that was very sweet. It was a warm little moment there. But it, it, you know, it reminds me too of the way we used to watch TV, which was cross-legged in front of the set, Sitting really, really close. close. I
1: remember my mom telling me, like, you have to sit farther back. Radiation,
0: <laughs> Radi- i don't know why.
1: But, I don't know if uh, that's a thing. I don't but...
0: either. Or if it was just going to wreck your eyes. That was always a big thing. Gonna, get, back, get away from the TV. Going to yeah. wreck your eyes. But, but that was—I <laughs> know that was the way we watched cartoons. Was cross-legged in front, and if you had action figures or toys, you had. Them in your hands with you as you're watching, absolutely. and you played. Um, so that was a very humanizing moment in that cartoon. Um, when Bruce brought me the script, and that script was written by Tom Ruger, mm-hmm. who was a producer I worked with on many series, including Tiny Toons and Animaniacs. I think. Yep, absolutely. Um, I worked with him for years, and um, he wrote that episode. And so. We all talked about bringing in Adam West for it, and I called the agent and I said, I want to offer Adam West this role, but let me please describe to you what the role is because I want him to make an informed decision as to if he wants to play this character. We are not mocking his career in any way. And how interesting that Birdman came out recently, the film, which is kind of an equal story on its yeah. own plane there. Um, it's a story about uh, a once-famous superhero actor or a or crime-solving character who then doesn't get much work after that. And we know this isn't true of Adam West because he's a very successful actor beyond yeah. this, who... What I love about Adam West so much is that he he loves to poke fun at himself. He totally gets that that was the majority of his career. That huge, groundbreaking Batman series, you know, made him a huge successful man. And he was very proud of that and, and t- takes no shame in, uh, you know, last year when it was the 75th anniversary of the creation of Batman, he did every celebration for it because he understood that this was cool. He's
1: embraced it fully. fully. He's amazing. Fully.
0: So even back then when I went to him and said this is we are not mocking his career and he read the script and instantly, yep, I'm there. Count me in. And what's so great about the character is he, he Adam got to play this very kind of uh, embittered. He's broke. He has nothing. He has to sell his toy, sell his toys, sell his costume, sell his everything.
1: It was so depressing, really
0: sad. And he's living in this little tiny horrible apartment, and. Um, it was also the first time in that episode that Bruce Tim I was going to say. ...did a voice. He now, played the villain. He did. And the caricature is of Bruce Tim, but a, kind of a younger, nerdier Bruce Tim. And what I want to say about this that I don't want to forget is Bruce Tim became a much better actor than he is in that piece. And I wish we could remake that cartoon because he would be even better than you he was You want to do your it.
1: Lucas cut of this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was so game for it. We thought it was so fun to have him play it because, you know, Bruce is Bruce. And, um what's so really cool about it is uh Kevin Conroy got to play this very sympathetic Batman because he remembers this character from his youth and then during the 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 crime solving of the issue in the in the episode he remembers, this is a Grey Ghost story. I remember this from watching this cartoon. I could use his help. And at first, Grey Ghost is kind of reticent. He's like, no, no, I'm retired. This is not who I am. And there's that wonderful little moment when he's about to leave. And then Batman turns back and says, Grey Ghost, want to help? Or I forget what the exact line is. And he turns around and he goes, sure. And it's it's like... I, for me, I, it was joyous. Absolutely. It was just like, yes! He's not only going to figure out a way to solve this crime, but he has given life back to this actor who was dying. Yeah, a, the
1: self-reflexivity of the whole episode is beautiful. that a word? Beautiful. I don't know. I'm making it up. <laughs> it's I'm a good I say it is. Okay, it is. It's a good word. <laughs> it has a hyphen in it in okay. my <laughs> brain. So, yeah, sure. Okay, very good. Uh, but it was really, and from like a, I don't know, an external looking at it externally, seeing that it was like, oh, man, these are the two best Batmans that I know of. You know, it's like Adam West, Kevin Conroy, teaming up these two actors, but also, like, there was a humanity to it. It meant something to the Batman character. It was something that didn't exist outside of, I think, the Batman comics. I think the Grey Ghost was created for this. It felt like it tied into... Bruce Timm's love of that kind of pulpy noir. And
0: it starts in that style. It's got that black and white, very uh, sort of deco look to it. You know, those black and white shots yeah. and stuff. and Very expressionistic. It's very, very. It's a really cool episode. I'm glad you like that.
1: Oh, I love it. Uh, so what was, what was your experience in the room for that, watching them play together? Because I imagine um, it was kind of... Play. Also, like, Adam West predominantly does comedic work. Indeed, uh, even if he's he's treating something seriously, which is what makes him amazing, is right. that he takes his comedy seriously. Right. But that's what makes him so funny. Absolutely, uh, he commits to it.
0: It was, you know, we were all geeking out so much at what <laughs> we were doing that I, I wish I could tell you that I remembered exactly what that recording session was like. And I, I just, I truly don't. I, I'm sorry to say, um, but it was. I mean, we all, everybody, anybody who didn't geek out should have been forced to leave the room. So I don't think anybody actually. Didn't geek out. Well. One
1: of those where everybody piles in the room, even you know, if they didn't. Well, need to I be had, there. yeah,
0: I had, to you know, we I would let them stay for the table read, and then they're like, you have to go while well, I actually get the work <laughs> done. But, but what I really did like about that was it gave us a chance to let Adam do some really deep acting, where, you know, it was, you know, uh, he's selling his past in it he's selling his memorabilia and you know clearly this was a guy the Grey Ghost who was proud of his history because he had saved all that stuff and as he's telling it off piece by piece it's just taking away a little bit of his soul and so what Batman offers him is redemption and there's what's better than a redemption story that's so cool it really was a beautiful episode you
1: see a softer side
0: of Batman yes indeed you do usually quiet stoic kind of mean every now and then (laughs) Bitter, vengeful, has all those things. But this was, was uh, he had a lot of sympathy for him.
1: If you guys want to hear more of Andrea, there's an entire interview on Episode 3 about the pilot of Batman the Animated Series, as well as some more snippets on casting different villains in Episode 31. She's recently announced her retirement, and there's a wonderful interview over at the Dot and Line. It's a great animation website, and they did a great interview. Alright guys, that's it for the first show of 2017. I've got some great guests coming up, so stay tuned. We've got voice actors, writers, perhaps a live show, special episodes that delve outside of the TV show itself, and more. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the show on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, at BTAS Podcast, and at Hey Justin. You can also listen in Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Oh, my. Donate to the show and get cool rewards at patreon.com slash Podcast. And hey, now that you've finished this, Go to vimeo.com slash Justin Michael and just watch Gleep Glorp and Laser Tag once, will ya? Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show Logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the booming voice of this podcast. Thanks to my guests Tom Ruger, Ben Durant, and Andrea Romano. Special thanks to Alex Fernie for putting me in touch with Ben, oh, two years ago. Extra special thanks to This American Life producer Tori Malatia, who I asked to find the episode of This American Life he worked on where that one guy tells that one story about that one thing, but he replied I made hundreds of those shows. They're all a blur.
3: Now leave me alone. Just leave me alone.
1: Okay, fair enough, Tori. I guess I wasn't very specific anyhow. Okay, see you guys in a couple of weeks for the next Batman The Animated Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. See ya.